This is Katie Dunleavy with My Chronic Illness and Me. As someone who's struggled with chronic illness for more than 15 years, I've often felt incredibly isolated in my journey. Now, as a coach for others dealing with chronic illness, I've realized I'm not alone in feeling that way. There just aren't a lot of forums out there where people can connect about their experiences with chronic illness. So this is that space, a place where we can educate each other about different illnesses, dispel myths, and most importantly, share our stories. Let's dive in. Hey there. Today's episode is going to be a little different than normal. Instead of having an interview, I'm going to do an educational episode. One of the biggest hurdles of navigating life with a chronic illness is having accurate information and knowing how and where to find it. As patients, we unfortunately can't always trust medical professionals to give us accurate and up-to-date info and to help us understand what questions we should be asking. You know the saying, you can't know what you don't know? Well, I mean, that's accurate, but unfortunately, navigating chronic illness often means you do need to know because being equipped with factual information and an awareness of common misconceptions or less than ideal treatments about your condition can really help you get the best care possible. So I hope you enjoy the format of this episode. This is my first one <laughs> like this. So as always, please let me know what you think. I'm, I'm really open to feedback and I hope you find this helpful and informative. Okay, so today we're going to talk about endometriosis. As I've said before, I've suffered from endo since I was at least 17 years old, probably before that, but that's the first time I ever really saw a doctor and had the word endometriosis spoken out loud to me. I, in the past nearly 20 years, 18 years, have had to wade through oceans of incorrect and incomplete information. And I can say with confidence and extreme frustration that I know <laughs> more about endometriosis than most of the doctors I've seen. So my goal behind this episode is to give you accurate, correct, factual, and up-to-date information about what endometriosis is, what the symptoms are. We're going to talk about some misconceptions that are very common and that will often get in the way of patients getting the care that they need. We'll talk about what treatment looks like. I'll, I'm at the end, towards the end, I'll briefly touch on where the field is going in terms of research and testing. And then at the very end, I'll share sources with you because my entire goal with this podcast is both to give people a community so that they feel seen and heard and not alone, as, as I've said before, but also to help listeners get accurate information and also be able to find more information on their own. So towards the end, I'll give you a list of resources that I personally really appreciate and have found super helpful. So first things first, what actually is endometriosis? Endometriosis is a disease where tissues that closely resemble the cells that line the uterus grow outside of the uterus. So there's a couple key points here. The tissue that grows outside of the uterus in people with endometriosis is similar to, but is distinctly different from, the tissue that lines the uterus. The tissue that lines the uterus is called endometrial tissue or endometrium. Endometriosis tissue 
is not the same as endometrium. And that's a, a common misconception. So that's first. Second, it's key to know that endometriosis lesions grow outside of the uterus. This is a huge, huge factor that many people get wrong, including doctors, and don't understand. So we're going to talk about this later when we go into some of the misconceptions, but just hold that in your head for now. So symptoms. There are many, many symptoms of endometriosis. And contrary to popular belief and what a lot of doctors will tell patients, endo is not just a bad period. It's really, really more than that. It's a full body disease that can encompass tons of different symptoms, which is often a factor that contributes to delayed diagnosis because there are so many symptoms that can look like other diseases, other issues, other challenges in the body, which often means patients kind of hop from doctor to doctor to doctor before they find someone who can diagnose them properly. So let's talk about symptoms. One symptom is extreme pain in the abdomen, pelvis, low back, and often legs. It's important to know that this is not tied to menstruation. This pain can be anytime, any day, it can happen all day, every day, or every once in a while, just depending on the patient, but it's not specifically tied to your period. And it doesn't have to be in all of the places I mentioned. It can be in all or in some. But the key is that the pain can be quite extreme. All right. Second symptom is painful bowel movements. A lot of endo patients go through years of seeing different GI doctors. I personally had several colonoscopies and upper endoscopies. I saw nutritionists. I thought maybe I had celiac disease because the GI symptoms can be pretty extreme with endometriosis. So often people go through lots of different GI workups, not realizing that the real culprit of the abdominal pain and painful bowel movements and constipation and sometimes diarrhea is coming from the endo itself. Another symptom is painful intercourse. This again is not for everybody, but it is for lots of people with endo. Also extreme bloating and stomach discomfort. So you may have heard the term endo belly before. Endo belly, we could have a whole episode on endo belly and maybe at some point we will because it is <laughs> horrible. And if any of you have ever experienced it, which I'm sure you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we're not talking about like normal bloating. When you've eaten a little too much or you feel a little gassy, it's, it's not that. Endo belly is when your abdomen expands to such a degree that it is extremely painful and it can last for days or even weeks. So if you hear the term endobelly, that's what people are talking about. It's not just like normal bloating. It's a really extreme and painful form of expansion and distension. Extreme fatigue is another symptom of endometriosis. Infertility can be a symptom. Extremely painful periods can absolutely be a symptom of endo and often is, but as I said at the beginning, that's not all it is. An interesting one that a lot of people don't know is shortness of breath and rapid heart rate can sometimes be a symptom of endo if you have endometriosis in specific places in your body. And um, bladder pain or urgency if you have potentially endometriosis lesions on your bladder. And that's it. So 
One thing I wanted to mention before moving on is that endometriosis is classified as one of the 20 most painful diseases in the world. So just keep that in mind. If you have endometriosis, if you're in pain all the time, I just want you to know that like it's legitimate. (laughs) It's legitimately an extremely painful, extremely difficult disease to live with. And it can be really hard. Okay. Endometriosis currently affects one in 10 women. Actually, more recently, the statistics have started to say one in nine. So I think it might be somewhere between one in 10 and one in nine, but it's about 190 million people worldwide. There are four stages of endometriosis that correlate to how much disease and how widespread the disease is in your body. So one important thing to know, though, is that the stages of endo that you have do not correlate to pain. So for example, someone can have stage four endometriosis and can have no symptoms. And they might not even know they have endometriosis or they might not find out until potentially they try to get pregnant and they have infertility issues. Whereas someone who has stage one endometriosis can be in agony every single day. It's a really weird and sort of unique thing about endo in that the stages just really are talking about the presence of endometriosis in the body and how widespread it is, but not the pain. Let's move on to common misconceptions about endometriosis. There are many of them. So let's take it one at a time. We already talked about how this disease is so much more than a painful period. And we already talked about that the disease stage doesn't correlate to pain levels. So here are a couple other misconceptions that you'll probably run into on your journey if you are on a journey to get diagnosed and treated for endo. So number one, birth control does not cure endometriosis. It's a very common experience that like the first stop on the bus for physicians or OBGYNs treating people who manifest endometriosis symptoms will put you on birth control. While birth control can, at best, manage, help manage the symptoms, it's incredibly important to know that taking birth control is, is really just a way to mask the symptoms. It's not actually curing your disease. So that's not to say taking birth control for endo symptoms is wrong. I mean, that's a choice that every young woman or, or woman or person has to make in terms of how to manage their disease. And I was on birth control starting from when I was 17 until when I was like 34 continuously because that's what the treatment I was started out with was. So again, I'm not saying it's wrong. It can actually sometimes help manage pain and manage symptoms. But the really important thing to know is you're not curing your endo if you're on birth control. You're helping with the symptoms and that's fine. Many people choose to do that in order to delay or put off having to figure out surgery. But just so you know, that often contributes to a delayed diagnosis as well. The disease is still in your body if you're on birth control. It's not curing anything. Okay, number two, a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. This is so important. And it's something that a lot of doctors 
up until pretty recently, and lots and lots of patients still get wrong. So by definition, endometriosis tissue grows outside of the uterus. So removing the uterus in a hysterectomy is not going to have any impact whatsoever on endometriosis. So I'm just going to say that again. Having a hysterectomy does not cure endometriosis. There's another disease that's very similar to endometriosis called adenomyosis, which is often a companion disease as well to endometriosis. You can have both. And adenomyosis is where endometrial-like tissue grows inside of the uterus. So the only difference really between endometriosis and adenomyosis is that endometriosis happens outside of the uterus and adenomyosis happens inside of the uterus. So for adenomyosis, a hysterectomy actually can be a cure. Okay, number three, pregnancy is not a cure for endometriosis. Some people have experience slightly better symptoms when they get pregnant. Some people don't experience any difference at all. Some people experience worse symptoms of their endo when they're pregnant. Historically, doctors would often tell women like, oh, just get pregnant and your endo will go away or get better. That is not true. And it's a very, very common and harmful thing that doctors can say. Uh, Another one is if you have endometriosis, you should go on Lupron or Orlissa. This is also not necessarily true. Similar to birth control, medications like Lupron and Orlissa are often a pretty early stop on the bus for providers and prescribers. Similar to birth control, these drugs can help mask symptoms. But... Also, similar to birth control, they are not a cure. And actually, many specialists and people are very wary of taking Lupron or or Alyssa because, and other drugs like that, because they can often cause really severe side effects that are irreversible. So for example, one of the most well-known ones for Lupron and Orlissa is that it can cause bone density loss that you, you don't get back even after you stop taking the drug. So a lot of times if you go to an OBGYN or a specialist, maybe you've tried birth control, maybe you've tried other pain meds, nothing's really working. They'll often suggest putting you on Lupron or Orlissa. And I would just flag that and do your own research about that because it's, again, it's not a cure. It can help with symptoms, but there's also some severe side effects or can be. So that's a a little bit of a, a flag slash misconception. Okay, another one is that a normal ultrasound or MRI means you don't have endometriosis. This is not true. (laughs) I can't say this enough. Like in all caps, this is not true. It's extremely, extremely rare to be able to see endometriosis lesions on an MRI or an ultrasound. So normal scans and tests do not rule out endometriosis. I can't tell you how many doctors I've been to that have been like, oh, your tests look good, you're fine. No, 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 no. (laughs) Just because you have a normal test does not mean you don't have endometriosis. The only way to currently diagnose endometriosis is via laparoscopic surgery. I'll just say that again because I think it's really, 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 really important. Currently, the only way to definitively diagnose endometriosis is via laparoscopic surgery. Okay, 
While we're on the subject of surgery, let's talk about surgery. One misconception is that if you do have a surgery and your doctor doesn't see endometriosis, it means that you don't have it. Now, I'm flagging this because this is actually, in my opinion, one of the most devastating misconceptions about this disease. There are really only a few handfuls of doctors in the world that are properly trained and experienced surgeons who can correctly and accurately identify endometriosis via laparoscopy. And that's not even talking yet about whether or not they can accurately excise it, which we'll talk about later, but I'm just talking about even see it when they do a laparoscopy. It's a pretty common experience for patients to have multiple surgeries. Maybe they're with their gynecologists, maybe they're with a general OBGYN, maybe they even are with a quote-unquote endospecialist and they'll have surgery and they're told by the doctor they don't have endometriosis only to find out later either through biopsies that were taken during the surgery or a different surgeon later on that they absolutely do have endometriosis. This is, I mean, I think it's particularly devastating because the process of A, finding a surgeon, going through the sometimes just complete overwhelming rigor moral of asking questions and preparing for surgery and taking time off of work and maybe you need short-term disability leave and maybe you need sick leave and you have to mentally prepare for surgery. It's And then to hear like, oh, I don't have it is devastating. And I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. That was what happened to me. My first surgery, I actually was with a specialist. So it was even more devastating and, and very unfortunate. But I went under, woke up about 40 minutes later and knew that something must have not quite gone according to plan. And my doctor said like, yeah, I don't think you have it. This is not, I didn't see anything. I took some biopsies because a few spots looked quote unquote angry, but this is not what you have. And I have never been more devastated or like truly, truly deeply depressed than I was in the few days after that. Turns out he did take some biopsies and the biopsies came back positive, which means that I absolutely do have endometriosis and that there is disease in me that was not taken out during surgery, which means that I'll have to have another surgery soon, actually. So anyways, just saying that it's a really important thing to know and it's really frustrating and hard to know, but critical to know that if you have a surgery and your doctor says you do not have endometriosis, you probably want to get a second opinion. Another misconception is that endometriosis only affects female reproductive organs. This is false. Endometriosis lesions have been found on every major organ in the body. That includes the liver, the colon, the bladder, the lungs, the brain, and the heart. Every single major organ in the body has at one point or another been found in surgery. Okay, another really harmful misconception is that endometriosis only affects women. So not only does endo impact cis women and trans men, but it's also been found in people who identified who were identified male at birth. So it's very rare, but it has happened. And I think that's really important for people to know.
right. Let's talk about treatment. I think we've talked about most of the misconceptions. So let's move on to treatment. I want to be really, really clear here. There is no cure for endometriosis, which sucks. <laughs> but we're talking about treatment because with proper treatment, with a good doctor, with a good surgeon, with good follow-up treatment, patients can live for really long stretches of time, either completely pain-free or with really minimal pain. And so even though there's no cure, treatment is pretty critical to quality of life. So let's talk about what that treatment looks like and, and what you want to be looking for when you think about treatment. The gold standard of treatment for endometriosis is excision surgery with an endometriosis specialist. So what is excision? Excision simply means to cut out. So when you have excision surgery with a specialist, they go in via laparoscopy. So they, they make incisions in your abdomen, sometimes in your belly button, and they go in and use robotics to look around on all of your intestines. They move intestines out of the way, they look on outside your uterus, they look around your ovaries and fallopian tubes, but good expert surgeons will also look pretty much everywhere. Like they'll look on your diaphragm and your bowel and your bladder, like to try to make sure that they're really seeing everywhere. Because as we said, endo can, can and has been found on every major organ of the body. So excision surgery means that when the surgeon finds the endo, they will cut it out. This is important because for decades, the technique that was mostly used as quote-unquote treatment for endometriosis was called ablation surgery. And this was a form of surgery that sort of sounds similar to excision and it could look similar from the outside to excision. You have a laparoscopy, surgeons make incisions in your abdomen, they go in with robots, with the robotic lasers, but they, instead of cutting out the disease, they would burn the disease. This was the technique for decades and decades and decades. And actually, often still, insurance companies will try to make you have an ablation surgery before they'll cover an excision surgery. Ablation is not a good treatment. It literally just burns the let's say, surface or a little bit below the surface of your endometriosis lesions away. It's very harsh on the body and it can cause a lot of scar tissue that can actually make excision a little bit more difficult for specialists later on. So if you're talking to a surgeon and they are trying to do ablation versus excision, I think that I can confidently say you're not talking to the right specialist. And I think that's really important for people to know. Why a specialist? Let's talk about this. So this is crazy to me, but most doctors do not receive any education or training about endometriosis in medical school. Even most OBGYNs, who you'd think would have good, accurate, up-to-date information about endo, do not have sufficient, most do not have sufficient education and training to treat this disease. There's a great statistic from a 2016 study that's cited in the documentary Below the Belt 
that says in a 2016 study, 82% of OBGYNs admitted to being unable to perform advanced excision endometriosis surgery. So, you know, I know I said before that there are only a couple handfuls of specialists that can perform this surgery, but like really think about that statistic. 82% of OBGYNs actively and honestly admit that they do not have the training and education, are not comfortable performing an excision surgery. So that's just another reason why finding a good specialist, finding the right doctor is incredibly, incredibly important. Another reason that surgeons are so critical is because endometriosis can have a lot of different manifestations. It can look a lot of different ways in the body. And like with my story, even specialists don't always get it right. As we're talking about uh, treatment and surgery, let's talk a little bit about surgery recovery. This is something that I just want to flag because a lot of doctors will say, oh, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to recover from excision surgery. And this is often just simply not the case. <laughs> True and real recovery from endometriosis excision surgery can take months and even sometimes up to a year. I know that sounds insane. Like, what do you mean it takes up to a year to recover from surgery? I don't mean you're in bed for a year, but think about it. I mean, depending on how long that you've had this disease and how long it's been growing in your body, potentially sticking different organs together, potentially creating a lot of chaos inside of your body and on your organs, you might really take a while to recover. Like even after the endo is cut out, it really just depends on how kind of warped your body has had to get in order to accommodate the disease. So that's not to be discouraging. I think it's important to help set realistic expectations. Not everyone will take a long time to recover. You know, some surgeries, people talk about, oh my God, like I went in for surgery. I had endo everywhere. It all got cut out. And like two weeks later, I feel better than I've ever felt. And that's amazing. I hope that that's your experience. I hope that I would want that for everybody. I just know from people I've talked to and personally, it took me like a full year to feel fully, fully like myself again. And that was because for just me personally, I had been burning myself out and warping my body to try to accommodate my endo pain for over a decade. So like, of course, it took me longer than a couple of weeks to recover from surgery. So anyways, I just want to kind of normalize that like, it's okay if you don't feel completely back to yourself right after. And then there are sort of the other treatment steps that can often happen after surgery. So one of my favorite sources, Nancy's Nook, I'll tell you more about it later, talks about how excision surgery with a specialist is often the first step of treatment. What that means is that a lot of times patients are going to have to see physical therapists or pain specialists or pelvic floor therapists or nutritionists or some kind of combination of those people after surgery. So... That makes sense, right? Like if you're someone who's struggled with endometriosis for years or sometimes even decades, the chances are that 
surgery is not just going to be a one and done treatment. Our bodies get more and more damaged over time as we learn to adapt to the growth of this disease inside of our bodies. And often things like chronic pelvic pain, dysfunctional bowel and bladder movements, pelvic floor dysfunction, sometimes even nerve damage are things that we'll have to address after the surgery with a qualified surgeon. And that includes finding good and qualified physical therapists, pelvic floor therapists, pain specialists, etc. So that is a key part of treatment, or can be a key part of treatment for people as well. Okay, and then last on surgery, I just want to say that it is likely, yeah, I think I can say likely. It's, I guess I'll say it's not unusual for people to need more than one surgery over time. This completely depends and varies from person to person. And I'm not talking about like when you have a surgery with someone who's not qualified or someone who doesn't see endo or someone who, like in my case, (laughs) takes a couple biopsies but doesn't find the rest of it. I'm talking about like even if you have really great, really helpful excision surgery with a specialist, it is possible that you will need another surgery or a couple throughout your lifetime. Why is this? Well, the reason is because, as I said before, there's no cure for endo. So the great news is if you're able to excise it, if you have a great surgeon who can find it all and get it all, you're probably going to have several, several years of like really great healing and feeling better and being pain-free or with less pain being able to be more active in your life and feeling like you're managing your chronic illness in a different way. And that's amazing. But because there's no cure, it's possible and likely that eventually the endometriosis will grow back. So in terms of a a second surgery or a third surgery, it's often just a quality of life thing. Like, for example, for me, it's a little different for me because I didn't really get anything taken out the first time. But I actually did feel a little bit better after surgery, even just with those little biopsy areas taken out. So I've had, let's say, like three years of feeling a little bit better, being more active physically. And, you know, now it's at the point where I'm like, yeah, I don't think he got it and uh, the first time. And also I'm starting to be on the downswing again. So my surgeon put it a pretty good way when he was like, it's really a question of quality of life. Like you don't at any point, nobody at any point has to get surgery. But if you had success with one excision surgery, if you felt better for several years, it might be worth it. You might make the decision for yourself like, okay, it's worth it to do it again, to have another sort of time of renewal. Anyways, just flagging that as a possibility. And it's an extremely unfortunate possibility and can be an extremely expensive possibility. But again, I'm I'm just trying to give everybody the most accurate, full picture I can. All right, so let's take a minute to talk about where the field of endometriosis research is going. I'll just kick this off by saying I'm definitely not an expert in this area. When it comes to the forthcoming research and the science behind it, I am by no means like the final source you should listen to. But I do know a bit about where the field is going and what kinds of things are being looked at. So 
I'm going to share some of what I know from my own research about what's coming down the pike. But if any of you listening are in the research field, I would absolutely love to talk to you. I would love to have a deeper conversation about where the research is going. And at the end of the episode, I'll give you more resources that you can go look yourself to learn more about where the field is going. So that said, the couple different areas where I've seen or heard or read increased interest and information about endometriosis is first in categorizing the different forms of the disease. There is suspicion, <laughs> I think, in the in the research field that similar to a lot of cancers, for example, breast cancer, that have different classifications, different types within the larger umbrella. There is, I think, thinking in the research field that endometriosis is similar. And so I, some of the research being done now is trying to sort of start classifying and categorizing the different forms, manifestations of disease. Another area of research is trying to invent and come up with different ways to diagnose the disease. So there's a a researcher named Linda Griffith, who is an MIT professor and who directs the Center for Gynepathology Research at MIT, is, I think, specifically working on this because it's pretty crazy that decades into the scientific community knowing about the existence of endometriosis, we don't have a better way of diagnosing people than cutting them open and doing surgery. That's crazy. (laughs) So I know that the Gynepathology Center at MIT and Linda Griffith are working on, like, could there be potentially a blood test? Like, is there, what different ways can we diagnose endo instead of having to have someone go under the knife? Another part of the research that has been popping up lately is on the origin of the disease because where endometriosis comes from is still like really unknown. Just a few months ago, actually, I read an article about a study that was released showing a potential correlation between people who have endometriosis and people who have a type of bacteria called fusobacterium. This is, again, like very early stage study that showed a correlation, absolutely no idea if there will be a causation found eventually. There's a lot, lot, lot more research that needs to be done. But it's something that's interesting if you want to read up about where that research is now. Some resources I love. First and foremost, I want to talk about Nancy's Nook. Nancy's Nook is an amazing resource. It now is an entire website unto itself, but it started a long time ago now as a Facebook group. It has hundreds of thousands of followers. And the really cool thing about this group is that it's really classified as an online learning library. So unlike most Facebook groups where people are kind of posting back and forth and chatting and giving each other advice, this Facebook group particularly was and is pretty strict about like, yes, people can post your own stories, you can post updates about your care, but we're going to turn off you know, comments pretty immediately because they really 
were aware of all of the misconceptions around endometriosis. And so by turning off comments, they helped sort of stymie the flow of misinformation or of people giving medical advice who weren't qualified to give medical advice. So in addition to that, it also has dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of articles linked in the Facebook group, but also now on the website. So I would suggest going to the website now because it's a little bit more user-friendly than the Facebook group was. Dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of articles about research about endo, what it is, who are the doctors who were doing sort of the groundbreaking research? What's the difference between ablation and excision? What are the different visual manifestations of endometriosis? Who are the surgeons that are specialists in this region? It's just, I would say it is the most comprehensive resource out there to learn about endometriosis and find care. Secondly, I want to recommend you visit the Center for Endometriosis Care in Atlanta. They also have a lot of great information on what endometriosis is, and they are a very well-renowned treatment center in the U.S. There's a couple expert doctors. They do free case review if you've had surgery before and you want to send them your files and potentially become a patient of theirs. Or even if you don't end up becoming a patient of theirs, they'll often review your case for free. So I would highly recommend going there and poking around as well. There's the Endometriosis Foundation that has good information and research. There's endowhat.org, which is what was started by Senator Warren and Orrin Hatch, or they're the partners of that movement. That's a pretty good website with different information as well. And I mentioned earlier, the Center for Gynepathology at MIT has some more information if you're interested in like the research that they're working on. Totally visit there. In terms of like individuals and or I guess I would say influencers around this disease. I want to just mention Padma Lakshmi. She, many of you know her as the longtime host of Top Chef. She has endometriosis and actually founded the Endometriosis Foundation in, I think it was 2011 or 2013 with her surgeon. So she often like on her Instagram, she's very vocal about her endo and, and symptoms. And she's a really great advocate for people getting the correct care that they need. And then I guess lastly, I'll just shout out some Instagram accounts that I like to follow. There are so many out there and I know that it can be a little overwhelming. So I'll just give you like five or six that I personally follow and have followed for several years and generally uh, appreciate and find their content speaks to me (laughs) in some way. So the first one is the underscore endo underscore space. Second would be endometriosis underscore facts. Third would be empowering dot endometriosis. Fourth would be endometriosis underscore surgeon. Fifth is endofound. That's the endometriosis foundation that I mentioned before. And then Nancy's Nook Endo on Instagram. And then lastly, I I mentioned this a couple of times, but just want to make sure to say it specifically, Below the Belt is a documentary that came out earlier this year. It has really great information as well as some personal stories about different women's endometriosis journey. All right. That was a lot of information. Like I said at the beginning, this is the first time I've done this kind of format. 
And I think it turned out kind of longer than I thought it would be. So again, I'm open to feedback. Please don't hesitate to let me know. Was this helpful? Like in a future episode, would you want me to dive deeper on any of these specific areas within endometriosis? I'm also hoping to do more educational episodes about other diseases as we go. So please drop me a line. My email is katie at reviveandthrivecoach.com or you can find me at reviveandthrivecoach.com, which is my website, or I'm on Instagram at reviveandthrivecoaching. Okay, thanks so much for listening and let me know what you think. I hope that this has been informative and helpful. And if nothing else, I hope it has pointed you towards some resources where you can uh, learn more on your own. All right, thanks so much. Have a great day. See you next.